Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, you can tell, at least by the music, that we're still in the midst of the 4th of July weekend. And I love this kind of music, but I have, to, I have to tell you a story about the first hymn that we sang, God of Our Fathers. Some of you uh, know this hymn, this song very well. Some of you, it's probably totally unfamiliar. When I was in seminary, because I've known this hymn for years and years and years. When I was in seminary, we were singing this hymn, and a friend of mine leaned over to me, and he ruined me for life with this hymn. So that every time I hear this tune and I think of this hymn, I think of this first. Let me tell you what this is. My friend said to me, he said, you know what you can sing to that? Eensy weensy spider. Now, I hope I haven't ruined you for life on that. (laughs) But I find myself going, eensy weensy spider went up the water spout down came the rain you know it's really cool actually but then you got to move on to the actual words you got to get that out of your mind so anyway we are in the midst of the fourth of july weekend and uh it's a great weekend i was i was actually driving to savannah yesterday uh to visit somebody in the hospital And while I was driving, I was listening to sports talk radio. I was trying to catch up on what was going on in the world of sports. And the guys were talking about uh, 4th of July and New Year's Eve. And they were saying, which one do you like better, New Year's Eve or 4th of July? And it was an interesting discussion because one guy said, well, you know, 4th of July, it's just so much fun because you got the picnic and you got the fireworks and it's laid back and and it's really great and everybody's anticipating having a good time. New Year's Eve... I don't even stay up for anymore. You know, till midnight. Those of us that are kind of older understand that thing. It's like, yeah, we'll celebrate midnight at 10 and go to bed. And, you know, sometimes when you're approaching New Year's Eve, it's like, geez, I hope I don't have a year this year like I did last year. So it's kind of mixed emotions. But 4th of July is, is so much good, isn't it? I mean... My guess is most of you, if not all of you, had a good time. Even if you chose to hide at your place with all the tourists and the fireworks and the noise and everything, you probably had a good day. But we have family in town, and we had a picnic. The the Hog Heaven guys provided the food. I mean, it was good. It was great. (laughs) And, um, And we just had a wonderful, wonderful time. And then we did the fireworks. And I love fireworks. I'm still, you know, enamored with fireworks, even as old as I am now. But what I also do is I begin to think about our country. Now, I don't know if you do this. And I think about our country and what has happened to our country in my lifetime. And how some of it is good, but a lot of it isn't necessarily good. I've watched a slide, and the slide 
as the world changes, as our country changes, has become, at least for me, more of a struggle. Because our country has changed. And it's interesting, even back when I was a kid, hearing people say, and I'm sure that most of you have heard it, possibly even this week, we live in the greatest country on earth. You heard that? Recently, this week, maybe even? But if you read some of the national publications like Newsweek or uh, The Economist, they rank countries almost every year in various and sundry categories or compartments. And it's really fascinating to watch what they do. Like, you know, uh, standard of living. We are no longer number one in standard of living. I don't know if you knew that. We're like around ninth. When it comes to education, we're not number one anymore. When it comes to longevity, we're not number one. In fact, you know, what's really weird about longevity is it's like Norway and Sweden. I wouldn't want to live there. I mean, they're pretty countries, but give me the warm. We're not number one in the World Cup. Sorry. I mean, you can just go through all these different categories and see that the United States isn't number one in a lot of categories. What makes us great? When people say we're the greatest country, what makes us great? You know, I think that's actually a hangover from when we were the most educated, from when we were the wealthiest, from when we did have the best health care system. I mean, we could go on and on with the categories that we used to be number one at. But the world has caught up and in many cases has passed us by in certain categories. But I think there's another area that we forget about that really, in my mind, made us the greatest. And that would be freedom. The kind of freedom that the founding fathers intended. Not the freedom that is license to do what you want, when you want, how you want. But the freedom that says, I'm free to care for you. I'm free to show compassion to you. You're free because it doesn't matter at what strata of society you're in. You're free. It doesn't matter what race or sex you are. You're free. And if you read the pages of Scripture, that's what's intended. When Paul would write to the Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. Everybody finds freedom and healing and salvation in Christ. And that's why people came here in the first place, was to find that religious freedom for those persecuted to express their Christian faith. 
and how we have sought to, because of that, bring freedom and democracy and humanitarian aid to other countries. That's what we've sought to do when we understand the blessing that we've been given. And that's what has made us great. But unfortunately, what's begun to happen is we've slid a little morally. We slid a little in terms of showing compassion to others because we want what we want. A little more selfish. We've slid with integrity in companies, with politicians, corporations. See, that's what we're losing. And Paul, who's writing to the Romans during the time of the Roman Empire, which was at that time the greatest empire that existed, the wealthiest, the most powerful And the cry of the land was Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, that was supposed to be meant for everybody. Or was it? When you have about 10 million slaves, when you have conquered peoples everywhere throughout their empire that are oppressed, when really the ones who have it are the Roman citizens, and especially the men, I might add. And then Rome began to crumble. Yes, they were attacked from outside, but really, for most historians, it was a decay within. That they slowly deteriorated. That the wealthy desired more wealth. That sexual exploitation was pervasive. The treatment of slaves and the treatment of those conquered was terrible. And slowly but surely the empire began to decline. Because of a misunderstanding of what freedom is meant to be about what freedom looks like, what freedom acts like, if you really understand freedom. Now with that in mind, I want to turn to our passages for today. In particular, I want to focus on Paul's letter to the Romans. Because Paul's letter to the Romans... It's an interesting section of this particular letter and of the unfolding of the first eight chapters. The first eight chapters, which is considered Paul's presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where he's talking about, if you will, the world. He's talking about the world in general terms in Romans 1 and 2. And then he talks about how we come to faith, and it's by faith, Romans 3 and 4. And then as you get to Romans chapter 6 when we begin to see our faith as something that actually gives us the opportunity to sin because, after all, grace abounds. So he talks about that. And then we get to Romans 7, 
where he starts talking about this wrestling match between the spirit that wants to be in operation in me and change me and my flesh, which tends towards my selfishness, my desires, that which is contrary to the gospel. And he comes up with this line. Wretched man that I am. Well, there's a fun thought, huh? Wretched man that I am. It's not something that we typically think about. We don't go around saying, geez, I'm just a wretched person. I mean, some of you might. But see, not only do you have to remember the day in which he lived, you have to remember Paul and what he had lived up to this point. Paul had arrived in many ways in that culture. He was a Roman citizen. He was raised raised in a privileged class. He had the best of the secular education in the Greco-Roman world. And he was raised as a Pharisee. So he was successful in the Jewish world in which he lived. With righteousness, he considered himself blameless. He was living according to the law. Now here's a man from the worldly perspective, from the Jewish religion perspective, who had it totally together. And then he comes to this place. Why? Because he realized that the legalism that he was living, and the success in the world that he was living, was bankrupt. That's why. The world's success will not bring you the kind of life and peace that God offers in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, as he comes to a deeper understanding of faith, because of the encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, he comes to this deeper encounter and he says, you know really what's going on inside me? Is I've got this flesh side of me and I've got this spirit side of me and I've really been pursuing the flesh side even though I've been a righteous person in my own eyes where most of us are frankly and I've been successful in the world but I've been gratifying my flesh I haven't really been walking in the spirit and that's why he comes to the conclusion wretched man that I am. But fortunately, that's not the end. Because if you read on, then he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. There it is. That when we finally say, I don't have the answers, I can't do it in and of myself when I try to do the right thing, or when I try to do my thing, or when I try to fit into the world, I'm messing up right and left. And I'm failing. And I'm falling. And I need Jesus Christ. And I need the power of the Holy Spirit to change me, and to change my life, and to change the focus of my life. That's where he comes to. That I don't want to feel this wretchedness. 
I don't want to feel this battle. I don't want to carry the guilt. I want to give it up. And that's why when you come to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, a wonderful, powerful verse that says, there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't have to live under the weight of that. I don't have to live under the power of the flesh. I don't have to try to be a success in the world. I'm free. I'm released. And there's no condemnation. What a great feeling. Do you know that feeling? That release that comes. The gift of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's able now to give up the legalism. He's able now to not try to fight the rat race of living in the world according to the standards of the world. He begins a new understanding of what it is that he's to be about, which is the freedom to be loving and compassionate and caring and give of yourself and serve the Lord and serve other people. You know, it's amazing how bound up people are in our culture. How they want. How they're never satisfied. And how they fall in this spiral of sin. Instead of finding that freedom that's offered in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take mine upon you. When you try to live according to legalism, the law, you're going to feel the burden. When you try to fit into the world, you're going to feel the weight of sin and guilt. And most likely you're going to experience the consequences of sin. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm lowly in heart. That's where it begins. That emptying of yourself. That humility. That's why both Jesus and Paul would say, it's not the wise and intelligent in this world. The world's standards, the world's ways. We know better today. The pride and arrogance that comes with that. The license that comes from that. The freedom without responsibility, which isn't real freedom. And then as the passage continues to unfold, Paul says, so that you might know life and peace. Life and peace. What if you were to go down to the beach today, if the rain stops, and, and you were to just, you know, maybe pick out 10, 20 people and just say, when you think of life, real life, what do you think about? What's real living for you? I don't think that you're going to get, oh, living for the Lord most of the time. I really don't. It's usually about having things. It's usually about what makes me happy, what brings me pleasure.
Isn't it interesting to think about? What is life for you? What is peace for you? Is peace just the absence of conflict? Just give me peace. I want five minutes of peace. Do you ever hear that one? I want five minutes of peace. The absence of conflict. The absence of noise. Is it just the absence of war? Which would be nice. It's so much more than that. It is something that is active in you. It is something that makes you content. That you have a deep sense of joy. Because you have the confidence of the Lord. The confidence of His love. The love of brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what the Lord wants for you. Not the constant struggle that we see around us. True freedom. True freedom. As Paul would go on to write in Romans 8, you have not been given us to be bound to sin, to be a slave to sin, to bring you back into, what does he say? Fear. Fear. Because we don't have, because we don't have enough, because we're not getting what we deserve or desire or want. Fear. Entitlement. But rather so that we can cry, Abba, Father. To know that we're God's children. To know that we're heirs of eternal life. And then Paul goes on to write, this is also in Romans 8. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? In other words, the worst things that you can think about that could happen to you that go on around you, you don't have to worry about. Because God's got you covered. He's got your eternity in his hand. And he concludes, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's true freedom. That's true freedom. That's what he wants for you. Paul goes on to write in Galatians chapter 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The slavery comes when we buy into the world's rat race and standards. The slavery comes when we think we have to be righteous on our own or in our own eyes. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love become slaves to one another. Through love. 
through love. That's what the cross of Christ is about, because of God's love. That's why we experience no condemnation, because of God's love, the freedom that comes with that. Peter writes the same thing, only even a little stronger. As servants of God live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. See, and that's the cry of freedom today. I get to do what I want, how I want, when I want. Freedom today, that's not freedom. That's license. And there's a difference. Let me read to you some of what our founding fathers have written. In fact, I'd love you to guess who this is. What students would learn in American schools above all, above all, is the religion of Jesus Christ. You know who said that? Wrote it? George Washington. It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Who wrote that? George Washington. Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. And it is their duty, as well as privilege and interest, of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Ooh, that would fly well today, huh? Who wrote that? Wrong. The first Chief Justice, John Jay. How about that? Does that surprise you? Separation of religion and politics. Education is useless without the Bible. Useless. Daniel Webster. Webster's Dictionary. How about that? See, that's what the Founding Fathers intended by greatness. Do you understand? That's what they were intending by freedom. That's what our freedom needs to be. Not license. Not living into the world's standards. Living into the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ. Living with the power of the Holy Spirit changing us. And making us people of compassion. And joy and peace. And modeling what life is intended to be for the people out there that need to know. And living it out. Because we understand. Do you live with true freedom? Please bow with me in prayer. I'd like to close by reading a prayer written by George Washington. O eternal and everlasting God, direct my thoughts words and work wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the lamb and purge my heart by thy holy spirit daily frame me frame me more and more in the likeness of thy son jesus christ that living in thy fear and dying in thy favor i may in thy appointed time obtain the resurrection 
of the justified unto eternal life. Bless, O Lord, the whole race of mankind, and let the world be filled with the knowledge of Thee and of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.